I certainly never thought that when I was you know, lying in the bed in Johns Hopkins waiting for that life-saving transplant, that I would, you know, some decades later, be partnering with those same physicians to change healthcare. Welcome to the next big thing in health, a podcast from America's health insurance plans. I'm your co-host, Matt Isles. And I'm Laura Evans. This episode of The Next Big Thing in Health is brought to you by Teladoc Health, partnering with health insurance providers to transform how members access healthcare. Teladoc Health works with leading health insurance providers, hospitals and health systems, and employers to ensure reliable access to high quality virtual healthcare anytime and from anywhere. Visit teledochealth.com backslash AHIP to learn more. Teledoc Health is proud to serve not only our health insurance and employer members around the world, but also our provider partners who are bringing our technology and physician capacity to bear at a time when the healthcare system is experiencing unprecedented disruption. Visit teledochealth.com backslash AHIP and download our brochure to learn how we partner with health insurance providers to transform healthcare together. On this episode, my co-host Matt Isles and I sat down with Donna Cryer, President and Chief Executive Officer of the Global Liver Institute, and Rebecca Pierce, President of Extend Coaching and Consulting, to discuss how they would like to transform our healthcare system to redefine the patient experience for better outcomes and lessons learned for improving overall consumer experience. Both Donna and Rebecca are health leaders who have also been patients, and that unique experience has given them the insight into how we can better design our healthcare system to keep patients' needs priority number one. Welcome, so happy to have you with us. You've stuck around for two days and I hope it's been an enlightening couple of days. Um, we're here at the last session and hopefully it's gonna be the best one, right? <laughs> best for last. So That's thank right. you for being here and um, you know, as you know from being here the, for the past couple of days, one of the hottest issues right now in healthcare is how to incorporate the patient voice into healthcare. Um, as we work to transform healthcare, working to lower costs, to improve care, and of course to empower patients. Right, and you've heard some discussion about this over the last couple of days at the conference. Uh, and today, Laura and I are gonna be digging in with some experts and adding some more perspective to the discussion. Uh, and we know a lot of people in healthcare are interested in this, so we are taking this opportunity to record this talk to include it as a future episode on our podcast, The Next Big Thing in Health, so that others who aren't in the room today can listen in and join. And perhaps you've heard about The Next Big Thing in Health, which is a podcast by America's Health Insurance Plans. But our, our effort in, um, in the podcast each episode is to explore top trends, big ideas, new solutions to help patients and to improve care. We launched the podcast in September, and um, I'm sure you all know about it, right? <laughs> if you don't, um, you can find it, uh, you can download it uh, via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Just search the next big thing in health, and of course we invite you to subscribe and to share with your network. That's right, and so today uh, we're going to talk about the patient 
personalization in healthcare and how patients are more involved in their own care than ever before. We've heard that as a theme uh, across the conference from wearables and data ownership to improved communications and price transparency. And the real question is this, how do we design our operations and systems around keeping patients' needs priority number one? Joining us to talk about this are Donna Cryer, President and CEO of Global, Global Liver Institute, and Rebecca Pierce, President of Extend Coaching and Consulting. Both Donna and Rebecca bring a valuable perspective to this conversation since both are patients themselves and have worked extensively in the healthcare industry. And just want to give you a little bit more about Donna and Becca. Donna, uh, as Matt mentioned, founder and CEO of Global Liver Institute, which is a patient-driven advocacy organization currently leading PCORI's uh, research network. And Donna is also a patient herself, uh, coping with IBD, also a, uh, a liver transplant survivor, mm -hmm. and uh, doing very well. So she has now combined both aspects of her, her uh, career, her patient experience, her past work, putting that together, um, that experience to work to help elevate the voices of patients in the current work that she is doing. Becca spent the bulk of her career in the health insurance arena from Care First, Blue Cross Blue Shield to Kaiser Permanente, um, before then being tapped by Governor Martin O'Malley in Maryland to lead the Maryland Health Benefit Exchange as the CEO. After being diagnosed with a brain tumor, she left the corporate world to run Extend Coaching and Consulting, which is an extended executive coaching firm uh, for healthcare executives, as well as a strategic advisory firm, and she works with high-level healthcare leaders. So Donna and Becca, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank Next you. Next Big Thing in Health. Really appreciate you being here. Um, I want to start with kind of your perspective um, from the patient perspective. Uh, tell us about what sparked your interest in healthcare to begin with, and maybe what your your experience, and I'll start with you, uh, Donna, as uh, going through the liver transplant, what that brings to the platform now for you. Sure, what sparked my interest was staying alive. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I say I came to healthcare the, the hard way, and, and I certainly never thought that when I was you know, lying in the bed in Johns Hopkins waiting for that life-saving transplant, that I would, you know, some decades later, be partnering with those same physicians to change healthcare um, through research and, and other things. But, um, you know, I was diagnosed uh, when I was 13 with IBD. It developed, um, as some autoimmune conditions do, into the need for a liver transplant. I've also, you know, have been dodging cancer, and so I've lost mm -hmm. a few organs here and there. Um, from that as well, but to be able to, you know, to bring it all together, um, certainly to be able to connect with patients um, all across the world, um, as I am now, um, and and have those lived experience be able to transform um, into real change is is a privilege. Mm -hmm. And. Becca, what about you? How obviously it was, uh, you had been in the healthcare industry before right. being diagnosed with a brain tumor. What about the healthcare industry has stood out to you from your experience? So the interesting thing is, like you said, I've been here for a long time. I've, uh, you know, 20 years of being on the product management side, strategy development for health plans, and always trying to think about how we were going to take care of the patient. And the number one thing that stood out for me when I was going through what I was going through was how disjointed and broken it really was. Mm -hmm. Wow, interesting. And, and so now you're using that experience 
to, to try to make change, yeah, like right. through your coaching. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Um, so we've talked a lot about making the healthcare system much more patient-centered, and I know a lot of our member companies are trying to figure out what exactly mm -hmm. that means. From each of your perspectives, what do you think it would really take and mean to be a patient-centered system? Well, I think patient-centered care is care that's organized and fits into my life rather than making my life fit into the care. Um, and so whether it's um, care sent to the home, uh, care through wearables, care through sensors, through voice assistance, um, telehealth, I, you know, I have a weekly coaching session um, on FaceTime uh, with my wellness coach. He also looks at my data. It's really um, you know, orchestrated um, around the way I live my life, which is in airports and, <laughs> and ballrooms like this, yeah. um, not, not really at home or in any one place and recognizing that that's a little different for every individual, but being flexible enough um, to to work around that rather than requiring me to come to um, a particular place at a particular time and wait there for a while. Yeah, I don't um, think too many of us really feel like the system is operating in the way that you just described mm -hmm. there, yes. Donna. Yes. Right. Yeah, and Becca? I would actually take it a little bit further than that, um, especially coming from the product side of things. I found uh, during my, my process and my recovery process that um, while I was treated at a world-renowned organization and institution, they were not part of my recovery. My recovery was completely in my own hands, figuring out what I needed to do to address my problems that I was having. And so I think that the patient really does know best. Um, and so I'm going to challenge the industry to say, why, why isn't my welfare covered? I know for a fact that if I go to a Rolfer, then my headaches dissipate for three weeks to four weeks at a time. I was able to avoid being on opioids because of that. How come we aren't in a position to be able to drive some of that change truly? That's what patient-centered you know, means to me. And, and let, me, let me follow up on that too, mm -hmm. um, Becca. You got into the healthcare industry, I'm guessing, for a different reason, and now it's, you know, it's, it's morphed because of your experience. Can you describe a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, so interestingly, I fell into health insurance um, back in the day when people uh, applied for jobs on the newspaper, in the newspaper. <laughs> That's how I got my job. Uh -huh. um, what kept me in healthcare was this idea that we really, it was, um, while people look at health insurance plans as being the big bad beast, um, inside of that, every single one of us is trying to do something to change people's lives. And every single person in a health plan is uh, there for the greater good. Mm -hmm. um, and so the change that it has you know, made for me is that I really think that as we move forward, we need to be thinking about patients differently as not just the physical therapy, getting 24 visits and things like that. It's how can we help that patient figure out the therapy that's going to help them move forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Donna, you touched on um, wearables and technology mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, and this question is for both of you, but thinking back to your experience uh, and what you've gone through, what way do you think technology maybe could have either aided the treatment you received or mm -hmm. perhaps aided your recovery? Well, right now, um, the Global Liver Institute is invested in a lot of advances in imaging. 
that I feel certainly for my condition might have given me more time before transplant or have guided um, the care in a better way and given us some more options. Um, but also, um, I've talked to innovators who are using wearables to be able to predict when somebody might have a rejection episode. Mm -hmm. So if you notice the, you know, the number of steps uh, you know, and activity declining, um, you can catch that a lot earlier than maybe they would call in to, to the doctor. So I think that there are a lot of different types of technology that really could have and hopefully you're starting, starting to help. Right, that's, re that's really interesting to think mm -hmm. about, especially declining activity and, right, in the past that would have not really been noticed, right? right? But now right. we can have very specific metrics and technologies to help us. Becca? Um, so from a technology perspective, the most important thing that I think could make a huge difference is we, we talk a lot about, you know, uh, uh, the EMR from the, from the hospital perspective. When we talk about, a lot about AI and how AI is going to transform things, well, I'd like to back up just one second and say, at what point does the health plan and the hospital see the exact same information? Why cannot everybody see my information all together? Because when that case manager calls me and has no idea what an acoustic neuroma is or what I'm, what, you know, what's really going on, pulling all of that together and that technology, if everybody rowing in the same direction the health plan and the hospital all working together, that's the technology I think needs to happen. Yeah, we're, we plus, won't, oh, go ahead, Yeah, Donna. plus everything that happens outside of a right. clinical setting. You're missing, you know, 95% of most people's lives and activities um, as part of that data set. Yeah, and we're not gonna get into it here, but I mean, that sounds to me, Becca, like a truly interoperable healthcare system where everyone has complete information in real time to be able to understand all of these different pieces. And I know we're working towards that, but we're still, I think, a little ways off. I mean, the interesting thing is, right, in certain institutions, the EMR in the, in the emergency room doesn't even tie to the EMR right. in the rest of the hospital, right? So there's, everybody is trying to do the right thing. Everybody's trying to do the right thing in their own little silos. And the sooner that we can get to a point where everybody sees the same thing, the better off we'll be. So uh, staying in the, along the lines of technology, mm -hmm. there are some exciting things that it is doing right, which is you know helping with patient coordination, with diagnosis, with uh, purchasing prescription drugs to you know care coordination. Mm -hmm. um, what most excites you, Donna, when it comes to technology and healthcare that's happening right now? What's happening right now? Um, uh, certainly, I I am of that ilk that if I can't do it on my phone, then it must mean I shouldn't have to do it. Um, so whether it is, um, you know, prescription refills or making doctor's appointments through, through different apps, um, I think that has, you know, really worked in, incredibly well. Not everybody, though, is a digital native or, or, you know, really interacts in that way. So we need to be able to have things that interact with people sort of in the, in the flow of their lives. And so whether that is, you know, push button for phone, um, you know, that, that needs to be sort of adapted, but I think the more that can be, um, you know, automated and, and can be, um, you know, it really, I have two schedulers, and I almost need a third <laughs> yeah. um, just for my, uh, just for my, my health care. And, you know, and health plans are in such a unique position 
to be able to be helpful because they they've you know I've been with my plan for you know more than a decade and so they've seen you know the great years and they've seen the not so great years both from a clinical perspective and a cost perspective and so to be able to proactively plan out you know uh, this is what you know the array of, 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 of visits might look like you know to create another optimal year would be so so helpful mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that's as an opportunity. If I could just get my passwords straight and re remember them, that would be helpful too. Yes. What, what is your thought too about that? I think, about um, yeah, I'm with Donna here that the, the most interesting thing for me is really something that's already here. It's very nice to have that support mm -hmm. to say, oh, do you need your, your drug refill? Do you need your, mm -hmm. um, here's a reminder that your visit's coming up. And so like proactive approach. Proactive to approach right. to that, yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. So we've touched on it just a little bit, but I want to shift the conversation uh, towards uh, some of the bigger system goals around affordability and value. Um, and, and Becca, you remember this from your days working in the industry that in terms of product development, uh, we're focused on having lower costs, lower premiums, but trying to get to better care and better value. And the, the question though is, is for both of you, which how do you think health insurance providers should think about those goals, right, from a truly patient-centered perspective? Because we talk about a lot of these uh, notions around affordability and value from a system perspective, but then how does that translate to an individual patient? Yeah. Want to start? Sure. So um, this goes back to the patient knowing best. From my perspective, um, I'm not going to go to a therapy appointment that's not going to help me. At the same time, if I know that physical therapy is actually helping me, how do we design the benefits in a way that allows the patient to use the right benefits and not overutilize things that they don't need? Mm -hmm. So for example, um, uh, I'm deaf in my left ear. I went to actually check and see if I could get um, a hearing aid. They, and the long story short is that um, the health plan doesn't cover the one that goes over my ear because they don't cover hearing aids. But they cover the surgical implant because it's a surgery where I would have to stay overnight. So how is that smart, right? I mean, I'm sure, you know, in those cost differences, there's a $10,000 cost difference, but the health plan will co cover the more expensive one. So um, there's got to be ways to listen to the patient and, and utilize the care that, that's going to be best for them as opposed to just a blanket, we don't cover this. Right. I think that, you know, picking up on that point, um, there are many things that I'm, you know, blessed enough to be able to afford and pay for when people think about, you know, why at 25 years post-transplant and I am, am I so healthy, am I doing so well? Well, it's because of a whole list of things that I do, whether it's you know gym memberships and um, or wellness coaches and and things that are much less expensive, a fraction of the cost um, of things that my insurance company would pay for um, mm -hmm. if I got into into trouble. And so I think you know scaling up that um, you know individual patient strategies and and knowledge. Um, perhaps working with disease organizations um, to really th rethink benefit design um, for different disease states and being able to um, really capture some of the things that patients do know about how to keep us well. And I think that certainly um, 
you know, value is providing the, you know, the best care at the lowest cost. You know, people don't want to spend a lot of money. They don't, they don't want to get care that they, that they don't need. Um, we can be partners in certainly defining value and in helping you all create it. Mm -hmm. And Becca, I'm, I'm curious from your perspective as a coach to healthcare executives, how is this perspective, the patient perspective, received? I, I would assume that you're coaching them on some of these issues. Right, right. Is it becoming more well-received as you know, we're evolving? It is, and I think that um, the uh, in-the-box thinking is, is kind of blowing up a little bit as we're trying to figure out this new world and how everything kind of works together. I think people are more open to new ideas, mm -hmm. and yes, it's definitely changing. Mm -hmm. Virtual care is becoming the preferred entry point into healthcare. Visit teledochealth.com backslash AHIP to learn how Teledoc Health serves as a new front door to the healthcare ecosystem by offering high quality virtual care solutions for a broad range of conditions. Teledoc Health helps health insurance providers better manage care and costs for their members, including difficult to reach and high risk populations. Visit teledochealth.com backslash AHIP to download our white paper on how virtual care can help solve growing primary care concerns. So beyond the apps and the patient portals, you know, we're talking about technologies being infused in oh, the healthcare world as patient like... Patient portals are a whole different thing. <laughs> That's why I'm talking about the, those passwords too. Oh, exactly. Uh, well, let's talk about patient portals for, for a second. What, sure. what, is, what are your thoughts? Because that obviously triggered something for you. Is yes. that, are, are we doing it right? What no. needs to be changed? How, how does it need to be changed? No, it, it really needs to come to a, an individual uh, personal health record in a unified way that follows the patient. For, to for, every doctor. That, that patients can give permission yes. to the doctors or, or other entities for research or whatever purposes um, that they need and it should be constantly updated and, and refreshed, you know, agnostic of, of EHR. Um, because right now the current system where, you know, my data is in eight different portals and I'm supposed to check them at which times for which information and remember the passwords, but also it puts me in the position that I'm, I'm the HIE um, <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and saying, well, yes, there was labs done in here. I can draw them from this portal and put them because you didn't, you know, they weren't shared in this. And also um, there's so many instances where even for patients who've been, you know, within a system, they finally, they get the passwords, they, they go through all the problems, they go into the portal, and there's nothing there. Mm. There is nothing more infuriating <laughs> um, than having an empty portal. So um, patient portals are an, are an I won't use the term epic failure, um, yeah. but you just did. it is. <laughs> gosh, um, but they are not. They are They're not, not working. meeting the needs. So, so, what would you suggest? Is it is it carrying around a hard drive with all of your information and then being able to share that, or is it? Chip no, or, that's you know? not secure. I mean, yeah. it, it needs to be, uh, you know, uh, an open API, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, personal health record that is, you know, constantly refreshed and updated, um, and it, it, and I think that also will enable the bilateral um, you know, data entry. So right now, uh, for a patient to be able to try to you know, con uh, correct their EHR, um, you know, I'm, I'm a lawyer, and, uh, <laughs> and it still is, uh, you know, it, it would take 
quite a bit of work to to even correct my record, and so and they still um, would not have access to the fullness of information that I see about me from all my digital devices, from my claims data, um, from from elsewhere. And so it's it's unfortunately fragmented. But patient-centered care, the data should follow the patient. Mm -hmm. um, the reason why it doesn't, and we were at the National Academies of Medicine on a, a session on you know creating the demand for patient data. Well, the demand is there. What, it, uh, what we're seeing, though, is data silos, data hoarding, and it not being in the business interests um, of hospitals to let the data flow with the patient because they consider it you know, part of their business assets. Mm -hmm. Becca, I'd love to get your perspective on this, too. How should patients be using uh, these options and uh, for, for their best care? Uh, yeah, you know, um, Donna, you just struck something for me, which I think is interesting, which mm -hmm. is, um, you know, I, I, when you think about an asset for a hospital, mm -hmm. right, because all of my information is in the EMR within the institution that I work with, I almost feel beholden to stay there. Right. Even if the care isn't the best care that I can be right. getting, mm -hmm. I feel beholden because it's just so exhausting to yes. have to explain right. to somebody what happened and where mm -hmm. I am and what, you know, what services I've had already, and, and the fear of them repeating things, right. you know, especially for having lived here for 20 years and somebody says, well, I need to repeat the MR, and I'm like, do you know what I do for a living? Like, my <laughs> job is to keep right. healthcare costs out of the system. And um, so you struck that for me, mm -hmm. which is having that ability to carry it forward and have it you know, go with you is, mm -hmm. I mean, it is the Portability Act, right? The, the, one of the P's in HIPAA is portability, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So how do we make that happen? Right, and it's how not just exhausting, it's, it's, it's unsafe. Um, I had an instance earlier this year where they thought I had a, a stomach perforation. Um, and the only thing that saved me from having an unnecessary invasive surgery was because I was you know, back in a hospital within the original health system that had done my surgery 25 years ago. And so they're able to look at the records that thankfully had been scanned in and realize, well, maybe it was, it's you know, just an alteration um, of the anatomy because of the surgical technique. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we waited about, you know, 24 hours and, and, you know, everything stabilized. But without access to those 25-year-old surgical records, they would have had no choice but to, but to cut. Mm. Yeah, that reminds me of a, 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 a friend and a work colleague who's, uh, who had a daughter who had a very rare health condition. Mm -hmm. And every time something happened, uh, because she didn't have the ability to sort of transfer records, they would go on a trip and something would happen and she'd right. have to start all right. over again and right. explain the situation. And because it was so rare mm -hmm. not to have to go through test after right. test after test and be able to just right. provide that kind mm -hmm. of information on the, but through you know, the click of a button and right. being able to say, yes, have access mm -hmm. to my information. I know how we use technology is very different today than it was a few years ago, but in many cases, um, the uptake and the use of technology that could be helpful still seems very low in, in many cases. Right. Um, I know health insurance providers are trying to incentivize um, people through different benefit designs and providing access to different tools mm -hmm. and technologies, greater utilization, 
What do you think it's going to take to actually get broader utilization of technology that might be able to help patients? Because it still seems, at least based on the data that, that we've looked at, you know, mm -hmm. single digits. Right. Well, I think that, um, you know, market segmentation is really in, important. Um, and by that, I mean that the ROI for using technology for a patient like myself with multiple chronic diseases is very clear. And it's very high. And so I think too often we uh, think about patients as a whole or consumers as a whole and think that um, you know, the market is everyone. Well, it's not everyone. It may be you know, seniors for this use or people with multiple chronic diseases and then sort of disperse from there throughout the rest of the family once they see, oh, wow, that really helped my sister, my friend, my wife do that. Um, and so I think that that's a big part of it, you know, starting with the patients with the clearest use case first and, and matching to the right technologies. The other part is um, having the full conversation about you know, what is the, the, the balance, the benefits and the risks of giving up this increasing amount of information. We haven't really had that conversation with the public. Um, and so when you, uh, you know, read a news article about uh, you know, a, a health system and a tech company you know, sharing data, you know, it seems, you know, shocking. Well, why would they do that? I never knew that that was going on and, and that was happening. But it's because we haven't really had the conversation that um, this is why um, and this is how people would benefit um, from, from these technologies and the use of the data um, for people. So I think, you know, having patients in, in these types of conversations is what it's going to take to really speed adoption and, and letting us sort of spin out the use cases that would be meaningful for us. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and Becca, what do you think? So interesting, and I would say that it's the uh, where the technology is coming from is important because, uh, you know, if it's coming from the health plan and you're listening to your doctor and it's coming from the health plan and the it may or may not intersect appropriately. Mm -hmm. And so again, as we're all trying to lead everybody down the right path, there needs to be this connection between the delivery of the care. And, and you know, mm -hmm. health plans are taking much more of a focus on being a, part, a partner um, with people. And, um, but they need to be a partner with the provider as mm -hmm. well, because I think that where that, where that technology comes from is confusing. Right? Why is the health plan sending <laughs> right. this to me? Why mm -hmm. do they really care? Yeah. Right? Why? Why isn't the provider? Why isn't it provider-based mm -hmm. type of thing? That's right. a really great right. point because I was going to ask questions. Should it come from the physician mm -hmm. or the provider? But that's not always where we know it's going to come from because it is coming right. from the health plan, and consumers and patients might be surprised or confused about why is, why is my health insurer giving right. this to me? So I think that's a terrific point about the coordination that needs to happen. Well, when you talk about surprise and confusion, there's a trust issue too. Right. Because yes, patients right. get this stuff and they say, well, hang on a second, and mm -hmm. this is this. So the, but how, how do you solve that trust issue? Well, I think that, you know, uh, communication strategies so that the doctors are just a little bit ahead of the patient in terms mm -hmm. of understanding that this, this may be provided to their patient and they understand what it is. And they also understand how they will utilize it into the care because there's, you know, there's nothing worse than you know, a patient coming in you know, with all of, you know, all of their data as I do and the doctor being like, eh, you know, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna use it. Um, and so there does need to be that um, you know, education and buy-in of the physicians because you know, the data shows that um, you know, 
patients are more likely to interact with their, with their portal or with different things if their physician has recommended it. So if everybody's on the same page, yes. it's more streamlined. Donna, right. anything, uh, Becca, anything? Yeah, I mean, that? I would just add to that that you don't build trust at one time, right? You build trust day by day, right. reaching out to make mm -hmm. sure that people are doing well, you know, asking if, you know, how their mother's doing kind of thing in, in everyday life, right? Mm -hmm. So from a health plan perspective, how can you reach out on a monthly basis or just continue that communication so that you build that trust and it's not just a, oh, hey, you're sick, trust me, let's do this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think there's kind of this overarching concern too, you know, when you have data breaches and all of that stuff. So mm -hmm. to, to know that there are secure, you know, that this data is secure um, outside of the healthcare industry, yes, then that's right. probably, you yeah. know, beyond that too. Um, let's talk about the tools that are available to patients to help guide them through their mm -hmm. healthcare journey. Um, what is out there? You know, I think the most transformational thing for patients, um, really online patient communities, patients being able to um, share their strategies, you know, share their share their stories and the solutions that they've come up with, even just um, understanding that they're they're not alone, that they're going through the same thing together. Um, it's been amazing too to work with uh, patient advocacy organizations who um, have put overlays to clinicaltrials.gov mm -hmm. um, and are helping curate trials um, or matching data from their own registries um, to, uh, to, advance, to advance research. And so I think that sense now that your patient journey isn't something that just you and your family go through, it's something that you go on with a community and you're both a recipient of the care, but also con a contributor to um, the care process and the research process and the support process around you um, is a fundamental shift. Mm -hmm. What do you come across as tools that are helping patients? Um, I would actually agree with you that the online forum is really paramount, um, that we have places to talk to other people about uh, what we should uh, what we should be asking the doctor that was actually the mm -hmm. most important for me mm -hmm. is on the forum to say here's here's 15 questions that you should ask your doctor when you meet with them uh, because when you're faced with something you know significant like this right oh turns out you have a brain tumor um, it's a pretty big deal right yeah. and there's this shock that goes through and and this realization that your life is changing at that moment mm -hmm. and just not knowing where to go with it, that online forum uh, is just the most important place you can go because mm -hmm. as somebody had said earlier, the internet is the first place you go, right? Mm -hmm. It's the first place you go for anything these days and it's certainly the first place you're gonna go even if it's like, oh, I, you know, I have a sore in my throat. Is it something I should be worried about? You're going to the internet. So to have that forum is really important. Well, and those forums are where the patient voice can be heard. Right, right. And, and it actually triggers a thought for me, which is I know health insurance providers are committed to a lot of transparency tools. Mm -hmm. What I don't know is how are they tapping into those patient communities mm -hmm. when they know that one of their members is facing that kind of situation? Mm -hmm. um, are they saying, you know that there are communities out there who might actually be able to assist you? Right. Um, I don't know that that has really sort of uh, come to top of mind uh, mm -hmm. among health insurance providers, but I think it, that's a really important takeaway, yes. which mm -hmm. is yeah. how can we connect patients to other patients um, and provide that kind of assistance mm. and support.
right. uh, for them. Uh, again, not a traditional role for a health insurance. Right. But in the company. same way that we're asking physicians to prescribe support, if you will, mm -hmm. um, you know, in the many communications that health plans have with us, um, to point that out as a as a resource mm -hmm. um, would be absolutely appropriate. Well, and I'm curious, Matt, do, do you see health insurance providers kind of being part of that conversation in the platforms that are outside of you know those conversations that are out maybe outside of their website or their um, yeah, I'd say it's probably happening more at, say, a policy level, mm -hmm. not at sort of an individual right. patient level, right? So, for example, I sit on the board of the National Health Council, which includes many patient organizations, and I'm part of that organization and on their board because I really want to understand the patient perspective, and I want patient organizations to understand the health insurance perspective. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if you take it down to the individual patient level, how much of that is really happening. And that's you know, something that I think is, is certainly worth exploring. Well, and another yeah. thing that you and I have talked about too on the podcast before is uh, it, different socioeconomic um, situations mm -hmm. allow for patients to be part of those conversations too. So right. how do you reach the patient who mm -hmm. doesn't have a computer, who doesn't have a smartphone, right? and, and have them have their voice heard? Right. So we've um, deal with that frequently because um, as we have an advanced advocacy academy at, at GLI um, and it's really sort of uh, training the trainer. So we have a lot of people who either have their own organizations um, in different types of liver disease or they lead online forums of thousands of people. Um, and so we were talking about what's that right mix between um, digital peer matching forum, peer mentoring forums, um, and in-person support groups. And we recognize that to be able to um, meet everybody where they are and to uh, adapt to um, different age groups and demographics and, and needs, um, we're probably gonna have to do both. Um, but in terms of sort of our training of the, of the trainers, being able to do something across um, a digital platform, across webinars, um, where we would love to have, uh, you know, insurance Q and A's um, on there. Um, Let's talk. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and so, you know, I think that the the, the digital being able to, to scale the types of support that then people are able to deliver into their communities is a great way to think about that mix. Mm -hmm. Becca, is there anything that concerns you about this increased use of technology? Uh, so the thing that concerns me is the. Uh, lack of focus on the actual person, mm. right? I mean, we talk a lot about, oh, AI is going to do this, and, but uh, we need to make sure that we're still focused on the, on the human. Mm. And I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, engaging the consumer and making sure you're mm -hmm. connecting with them digitally and, you know, through technology. But uh, again, meeting where the, the patient where they are and mm -hmm. really, it, you can't beat a human conversation. Mm -mm. No, you're right. Matt, what's your thought on that? I, I completely agree, yeah. right? I mean, it, I think it's, it's so important when we think about um, you know, making sure that the application of technology um, is relevant to the individual patient. Of course, there will always be system goals, and when you're managing, trying to manage and address the, the health of a population, mm -hmm. you're gonna be thinking up here uh, at a 50,000 foot level about how can we address different costs or quality at a, at a global macro level, but you always need to remember 
there's an individual right. patient who's behind all mm. of that that's contributing to the overall, and you need to be relevant to them, and you right. need to make sure it's, it's specific and actionable for them, not just the overall system. We, we have to make sure that we're balancing those goals. Yeah, easier said than done. <laughs> Do you want to add to that, Donna? No, you know, I, I think that, you know, sometimes when I receive communications from my, uh, from my health plan, um, I've seen some evolutions in that personalization, but it's, it's not it's not there yet, and it's still really at a at a population level. You know, when I see the, you know, the medication list with three boxes or something, and I know I have three caseloads of, <laughs> of meds to take, I'm like, oh, you don't know, you know, you, you clearly didn't look at the information you had about me. And so I wonder if there are ways um, in terms of um, refining the member surveys so that you understand perhaps my patient activation measure. Um, are there other ways for you to get to know me in the same way that my, you know, restaurant app does or that Amazon mm -hmm. does, so that the um, even the literacy level of the information is is tailored um, mm -hmm. to me, um, or or other other factors that would make me think, ah, you know, they know me. Oh, this is something I want to sit down, which would make me more receptive to. The call that comes, the next, and the next piece of correspondence. I think people want to feel known, um, and there's so much data that can enable um, that communication in that way. Mm -hmm. For our audience, and especially those focused on health insurance uh, providers, what are the patient-centered developments that at least health insurance providers should really be chasing mm -hmm. after? Well, I think. You know, chasing after conversation is is important. Um, interacting with uh, health insurers at at ISPOR, for example, um, around around value um, was exciting. The first, though, they tried to get us to just to talk to the to the pharma folks. I'm like, no, we know how to talk to them. We need to understand how to talk and 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 work with with you. Um, and so, I think the opportunities for for co-creation. Um, with health plans is would be really exciting. There are some, uh, you know, sophisticated um, patient organizations who yes. you know come with data mm -hmm. um, that, when um, you know, uh, having access to to claims data would be um, really fascinating in terms of um, understanding and changing uh, both benefit design and and the course of disease. And so I think that um, when we think about you know, research uh, that that can be done, that triad of, you know, of, of patients and and the clinical record and the claims record um, is an exciting thing. And, you know, we have two health plans within the, within PCORnet, um, PCORI's research network, and what they add to round out the clinical picture of the academic um, health centers and the other parts of the the network is really exciting, and patients haven't had that insight before. Mm -hmm. You know, when I first met with the folks at Harvard Pilgrim um, and recognized what they could do, it was like a, you know, a kid in a candy store for a patient <laughs> advocate for all the different um, types of questions that we could have answered that would really empower uh, you know, our communities and our work in, in, in policy and elsewhere. That, that would be, that, would, that is really exciting mm -hmm. that that's happening. Becca? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I, um, you know, I talk about the consumer the whole time and, and being the patient, which I think is really important, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, 
But this idea of AI and merging all of the data, right, and understanding what my buying habits are and being able to create a program that meets those needs, like you said, I want them to know as much about me as Google does. Yeah. Right, like I want them to be able to say, okay, it, last time you went to the doctor, you, mm -hmm. you know, didn't get your drugs for three days. Can I mm -hmm. help you get your drugs in one day? Something right. along those lines that right. helps me, uh, in my adherence levels and things like that, uh, mm -hmm. go up. So let's end with this question because unless you have something more you want to add, but um, in this season of gratitude and staying with this conversation of patient voice and mm -hmm. and what you both are doing in in your industries. Um, what, what are you most grateful for? Well, Donna. I'm certainly grateful that I have great insurance. <laughs> um, and, you know, that my, my parents through the union um, had great insurance uh, when I was diagnosed as a child. And, um, and then I've been able to hold jobs that had insurance. And I'm able to provide it for my employees at my various, uh, you know, companies and organizations um, so that they can get the care they need and be the productive individuals um, without that concern. Um, I would hope that everyone uh, would be able to live their lives in a way so that their health is not the limiting factor of their ambition. We know practicing gratitude promotes good health, so right. that's why we're ending with this one too. <laughs> what it. would you say? Um, I would say that, I, first of all, I'm thankful that I'm still here, yes. um, that I had access to good care. I had access to good care in my, in my metro area. Um, I didn't have to travel to do to um, get the services that I needed, um, and that my carrier, as well, treats me very well. Um, the conversations with I—they have never once tried to deny something, um, you know, outright. They um, always have are willing to have a conversation with me, and so um, I'm thankful that I have the carrier that I have. Yeah. Well, thank you, Donna, Becca, and Laura for being with us. Uh, this afternoon. This has been a terrific discussion and the perfect session to close this 2019 AHIP consumer experience and in digital health. Dr. Miller, thank you so much for joining us today. It's such a pleasure to have you with us. Virtual care is becoming the preferred entry point into healthcare. Visit teledochealth.com backslash AHIP to learn how Teledoc Health serves as a new front door to the healthcare ecosystem by offering high quality virtual care solutions for a broad range of conditions, Teladoc Health helps health insurance providers better manage care and costs for their members, including difficult to reach and high risk populations. Visit teladochealth.com backslash can help solve growing primary care concerns. Thanks again for tuning into this episode of The Next Big Thing in Health. If you like what you heard, tell a friend and remember to leave a rating or review. Thanks for tuning in.